welcome to Premier League Press Box, the podcast with stories you won't hear anywhere else. I'm Ian Beach. And I'm Nigel Bidmead. Coming up, a chat with a radio journalist who has 300 million listeners. Stanley Quenda reports on the Premier League for BBC Africa. And I'll be talking to someone I used to work with, actually, Tony Gale, who was a title winner with Blackburn. He's going to tell us how he followed the same path into the media as former England captains Bobby Moore and Alan Mullery. So let's start with Stanley. I interrupted his lunch in the press room before a recent Fulham game. That's always the best time to do these. Yes, we uh, usually do speak to uh, our interviewees before matches. I don't know. I, I like to get to a game two and a half hours before kickoff. I have a lot of equipment to set up to do for a radio commentary or reporting. So that's always my target. So there's always this spell a couple of hours where people aren't busy but they've got there in good time ready for the game and we get a chance to have a chat and I spotted an opportunity with Stanley I am a Premier League reporter for BBC Africa and uh, what I do on a day to day is to basically report the English Premier League for African audiences there's almost uh, 300 million followership uh, around in and around uh, Africa and in the diaspora as well like here in England lots of Africans to follow the league back home in Africa lots of uh, people to follow the English Premier League and also I follow uh, African players in the English Premier League uh, at the last count they made up about 8% of the total number of players in the English Premier League. So you have 300 million listeners? Yes, yes, indeed. Um, lots of them, uh, particularly in areas such as Nigeria, a very, very big market for the Premier League, as well as in South Africa. But generally, all around Africa, there is considerable amount of followership of the English Premier League, and there seems to be more and more African players getting involved with the league as well. How did you get into this? Um, where are you from? Did you did you develop a journalism career at home, and, and how have you ended up with this great job? Uh, I started my journalism career in Zimbabwe. I'm from Zimbabwe, that's where I started, and I was a political reporter back home. Uh, I used to work for Al Jazeera uh, news organization doing uh, political documentaries. Then I found my way, uh, found a job at BBC uh, back in 2013. And when I arrived at BBC, um, one of the things that I wanted to do in England was to go to a Premier League stadium and watch a Premier League game live because I've been watching for years on television. Then I realized that uh, there was scope for us at BBC Africa to report uh, the, the, the passion, the action of the English Premier League to try and bring it closer to our audiences back home in Africa. Spoke to my bosses and uh, we ended up starting a project which is basically to report the English Premier League. So I was the first Premier League reporter for BBC Africa for the African audiences. That's how I landed the job and I've been doing that now for almost four years. You're a Man U fan, aren't you? <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> I took a wild guess, Stanley. <laughs> well, uh, of course, uh, when I was growing up uh, as a young boy in Zimbabwe, most of the influence came from my dad. He used to support Manchester United, obviously, because of the exploits of, say, Alex Ferguson. So under his tutelage, I came to become a Manchester United fan. And I must say, in Africa... There's a considerable amount of Manchester United fan base, but Arsenal is the biggest club in Africa, obviously, because of 
the a number of African players who played for, for Arsenal in the 1990s, uh, most notably the likes of Kanu. And of course, uh, Patrick Vieira, who came from France, but is originally from Senegal, the likes of uh, Saul Campbell. So it, it, a lot of Africans tended to support Arsenal because of the number of black players who were in, that, in their team, uh, which was highly successful in the early 2000s. But um, as you guessed, I'm a Manchester United fan, and um, I, I continue to, to support and follow the team, although I don't go to their matches as often because uh, my African interest is not very much rooted at Manchester United. So you've been around sort of English Premier League press boxes for uh, four or five years. Um, what's, your, what's your view? Is it, are they friendly places to work? Is everybody helpful? I mean, are the clubs helpful? Yes, indeed. At least from uh, the clubs, I've been to virtually almost every club. Uh, it differs from day to day, but generally there's been a, an atmosphere, a very welcoming atmosphere. And I must say some of the clubs have been really exceptional. If I can mention clubs such as uh, Leicester City, because of uh, their large African contingent. They have got the highest number of uh, African players. They, they were also the highest last season. They tended to give me priority because they understand why I am interested in their club. They also understand why I would like to speak to some of their players. As you know, it's very difficult to lend a one-on-one -on -one interview with a yes. Premier League player. Uh, but at some of these clubs, they've been very, very understanding. Just the other day, I was in uh, Stoke uh, to speak to two of their players. And the, they gave me unprecedented, unprecedented access. It was the first time to be able to, to get inside the interview rooms and be able to talk to a player because they understand where I am coming from. And I think more and more clubs are starting to understand why we are interested in their clubs and why we are interested in having access to the players because it's more than just a football league it's a way of life for many people in africa and i think that's why i would say so far it has been very accommodative and i'm quite happy with the, the treatment that i've got uh, so far do you just work in English or do you speak other languages? I mean, is, is, is all your broadcasting done in one language, English? We do broadcast in different languages. Uh, we primarily in English, but we also have uh, Swahili, which is spoken mainly in East Africa. We also have uh, French, which is mainly Central and Western Africa. And we also have uh, other languages in Nigeria, like uh, BBC Hausa, which is very, very, very big. I mean, it's spoken by almost 50 million people in, in, in Nigeria. And recently we also introduced uh, the BBC uh, Pigeon, which is a sort of a mix of uh, West African dialects and English. And most players, particularly those from Nigeria and the, uh, Sierra Leone, the West, West African region, they do speak and understand these languages. So more and more, when I go and do interviews after matches, I primarily do a, a version in English, and then I do a version in French. And if the player speaks Swahili, I do a little one, and if they also understand Pidgin, I do a little one as well. So our platforms, so their voices will be heard on different platforms. 
and many many more people are able to have access and have that so I would call it one-on-one -on -one interaction with these football players and be able to track their performance and their progress in the English Premier League as well. Um, so we're at uh, Fulham Watford today who are you keeping a close eye on in this game? Today I'm particularly here for Jean-Michel Sari. He has just joined Fulham, a fantastic midfielder uh, who before he joined Fulham was a, a subject of interest of many uh, Premier League clubs here. Big, big as, clubs as well. As well as Barcelona. Barcelona a season ago wanted to, to sign him but of course um, they couldn't agree on the figures with his club. So he's the one I'm here for. Um, I've been promised an interview. I just want to find out how he's settling in. And also he's the reigning winner of the goal of the month. And it seems he's slowly getting his uh, grip onto the Premier League. And I think he'll be a very interesting prospect this season. So that's why I'm primarily here today. I've just got so much respect for journalists who work in different languages uh, we take yeah. it for granted with just speaking in English it's incredible and, and while we were listening to that actually I was um, just checking out because Stanley mentioned BBC Pigeon and I, I thought for a moment that maybe there was a language that is BBC Pigeon just from the way he said it but actually it's it's the pigeon service in BBC News that he's talking about there but nevertheless you know that's incredible to think that um, there's this whole world of broadcasting that for somebody like me who only speaks one language is completely inaccessible, but a whole group of millions and millions and millions of people who are accessing Premier League news and stories through reporters like Stanley. OK, let's move on to our second interview of this episode. Um, one of my former colleagues, you must know. Tony Gale, no, I, I do. I do know Gailey. Yes, I'm a big fan. I am a big fan of the man and the co-commentator. Yeah. So these days, Tony works for Sky Sports, of course, and uh, he'll be well known to not just listeners and viewers in England, but around the world. Because the way it works, and I've mentioned this before, reporters who work on matches also get their commentaries broadcast around the world. So it's possible for Tony not to be working for Sky Sports, but to have his commentary sent to all sorts of places in a in similar way to Stanley, really. So he'll be a familiar voice. Tony will be a familiar voice to people all over the world who listen to football in English. He does a world feed, effectively. Exactly, which I know doesn't mean a lot to, to people. But if you keep listening to us, I'm sure you'll, you'll pick up and we will, over time, explain how some of the intricacies of our business work and how a lot of different parts of the, the broadcast media all send this material out for, for people to, to listen to. So if you don't know of Tony, his career, he was a player. He started out at Fulham. He was a great player, actually. He started out at Fulham. He played for West Ham. He played for Blackburn. He went on to Crystal Palace and uh, he was a centre-half. I used to work with him after his career ended. He won a title with Rovers. He Should did. be mentioned. He did. He was Again. part of the team in 1995, 1995, part of the squad. And I worked with him around the turn of the century. Seems a funny thing to say now, but it's nearly 20 years ago. And they were really, really great times. I told a story a couple of weeks ago on, our, on the podcast about um, Capital Gold. And I'm with one of my old colleagues, Tony Gale. Tony, how are you doing? I'm doing well. And they were great days, weren't they? Uh, we had the best shooter, although I know you young boys at the time uh, moaned at him 
quite a bit. But who are you uh, talking about, Jonathan? Jonathan Pierce. Jonathan yeah. Pierce, obviously a great tutor to me. Yeah. Uh, my, that's where I was starting at Capital Gold, and all yourselves, all you boys who went out doing all the, you know, uh, going to the press conferences, things like that, feeding it down the line, coming back later, having to put stuff out for the shows. I mean, you never work so hard, but I deemed it as a kind of apprenticeship for me, as you would have done for you and the other boys, and I think it's stood us all in good stead throughout the years, because looking around at all the co-coms like me and the presenters like you, we're the best. <laughs> well, I don't know if we're the best, but there's so many people who we worked with no, back in those days on a, on, you know, on a commercial station in London that have gone on to work on so many big national, international things. You know, you, you can't ignore that, can you? Well, exactly. At Sky alone, where I work now, I mean, we've got 20, 20 people who used to work for Capital Gold, uh, both producers, directors, presenters, uh, fellow players like me, co-coms, uh, just everyone in every walk of life. And, and even the bosses at Sky always say to me, we used to listen to you at Capital Gold. And I look at Sky sometimes with the four guys around the desk and going around the grounds, doing it like that. And I think that maybe some of the ideas got, was got from Capital Gold and the way that we did it, and the way that Jonathan, we had one main game, and then we panned around the ga- all the other games to you guys, and it worked. I never thought it'd work on television, but it's, it works on that as well. But I'd like to think that Piercy had a big part in all of that, really. How, how did it start for you then? Because obviously you, you retired. What was your last professional season? Was that at Blackburn? Was that the last uh, one? No, it was actually here where oh, we course, are today yeah. at Crystal Palace. So came back from uh, Blackburn, signed for Crystal Palace, unfortunately got injured uh, for that whole season and had to sort of pack it in at the end of that season. Played a little bit of non-league football then, player coach at Maidenhead with Alan Devonshire. He was a manager, one of my good pals from my West Ham days. But at the same time, I was doing bits and pieces, uh, pieces with Piercy, sorry, on Capital Gold. Then came the chance, of course, of going to the World Cup in France and uh, doing it full time with Piercy. So I had the option: was I going to carry on? At, so for, had you done games before the World Cup? Yeah, yeah, I'd done oh, okay. all games before the World Cup. I was doing sort of midweek games when it wasn't clashing with the non-league fixtures and all so that. So you're still playing at that point. Still right? playing and still doing the stuff with Piercy. And he said, look. There's a chance to come on ball full-time. You know, your first main gig's going to be the World Cup in France. Bang, that was it. And uh, the rest is history. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, Bobby Moore had done that job, hadn't he, yeah. before on Capital Gold? So uh, the, the, the first original crew, may have been before you, beat you as well, was McClintock, Moore, uh, Terry Neal, he was doing it yes, as well. Yeah. Um, and those, and Alan Mullery, and Alan Mullery. And it was Alan Mullery, actually, who kept saying to Jonathan, uh, Alan Mallory was with me at Fulham in my younger days. He gave me a chance at Fulham, looked after me. And he actually said to PSC, look, I've heard this, this boy doing it, just coming out of football. And I knew Jonathan anyway from down the tunnels where he was hanging about doing interviews. And it was Mullers who sort of passed me on to Jonathan. So I always, think, I always thank him for that. Yeah, I could understand. What, what do you think it is that Alan spotted? What, I mean, I don't know if it is, is it a talent up. or you, can, you just keep talking when people point the microphone at you. Exactly, I mean, <laughs> but you have to, yeah. as you know as well, know when to shut up as well. So that is an art in itself. Now I'm doing it on TV, the co-coms. Obviously, um, you have to shut up a lot more often than you do on radio because on radio you don't want dead air. So we did a lot of talking, me and Jonathan. But on TV, in effect, the pictures are telling the story. So when me and Jonathan were doing it, God, we didn't stop. And, you know, uh, well, 
Pearcey was like a Gatling gun anyway. And so to, to get a word in was good. Yeah, well, obviously, I was working on the games at other grounds or whatever, so I'd hear, I'd hear your commentaries and that, and we were all part of the team. They were, they were great times. But uh, obviously, now you move on to TV, and how did that come about? Can you, can you explain? Can you well, remember how that came It was came the out? end of Capital Gold. They'd actually lost the rights. Um, Talk Sport would come along, and uh, they was competing with Radio 5 Live for the rights, and the, the local rights for the commercial station as in capital gold for the London teams, which we were, we were doing, the prices were driven up uh, astronomically. So basically they couldn't afford to do it. But we did have about six months warning of that. I'd already started doing bits and pieces for TV as well, which uh, Piercy had allowed me to do. So we were doing some Channel 5 stuff and I was doing some Sky stuff as well. So when that finished, it was a natural way to go into TV. And I've been at Sky for... I think it's 15 years now. Yeah, good stuff. So here we are. We're what, how, an hour and a half before kickoff. Just give us a brief description of what's going to happen today. I guess you'll be up on the on the gantry somewhere commentating on the match. Well, that's right. I mean, I've touched base. We've been and see the producers and the directors in the trucks. Just go and have a chat with them. Uh, today's a BBC uh, production, but obviously we feed around the world. Sky our commentary goes around the world, and you see it on the red button later on match choice. So now it's just a case of sitting down with my. Uh, commentator today who's Tony Jones going through the teams going through the pronunciations so that we don't say them differently generally I'm quite good at that anyway but the commentators are are top blokes at that go through that but after doing it for 15 years at Sky 7 years at Capital you know I know all the players anyway there's not many players that I don't know so basically it's just coming around here talking to Everyone that I know, you get little tidbits that should this game become a dull affair, we can be talking about in between with all the Newcastle ex-players that I've seen here today and the Palace boys as well. So just being in and around it. And of course, watching a Fulham-Watford game, the early game, the boot. Yeah, that's nice. Now, obviously we've been colleagues and I know just how professional you are and I'm sure you watch... Um, other people doing the job and it's a difficult question but are there people out there co-commentators who you think are really good are you prepared to say that or are you going to say that you're number one Is that no I'm not saying I'm number one I mean I think um, you're only as good as the people listening to you and it's all a matter of opinion quite honestly because some accents people take to and some they don't so it depends what part of the country you're watching it in who's your favourite it might have been an ex-footballer or whatever but I honestly believe that none of us are better than the other all I'm thankful for is I'm still in a job and I love what I'm doing what I'm doing but uh, yeah there's some people that I watch on the TV and I think oh he's not all that or you know but obviously I wouldn't tell you but but uh, sometimes I think, oh, I wouldn't have said that. But there's, there's some, mainly there's some really good workers out there, both in what you do, uh, the commentators do, and also the players as well. So without naming names, that's fair enough. We'll sidestep that. But what do you think are the, are the key things to be good at what you do? What do you try and do and what do you try and bring to it? Well, I think it's knowing when to shut up, when the commentator's on a roll and the ball's generally in and around the midfield area or out of play, that's the time to talk. And when it's in and around the 18-yard line or free kicks, corner kicks are fizzing in, can't be, you've got to be quiet. You don't want to be talking while the goal's going in. That's number one. And the other thing is just to give people an insight in maybe what they don't know. So Tony, my commentator, will be doing things, but there's some things I might see in a game. And I like to kind of, uh, shall we say, predict what's going to happen in the game and where there's strengths or weaknesses of the other team, rather than be 
reactive after the event. Try and be proactive in it. That's what I like in a commentator and co-commentator. Tony, it's been a pleasure to speak to you, and as you always. Speak. Have a good game. Good luck with the podcast. Thank you very much. I'll be please listening do. now. Please do, please do. I don't think we should underestimate how much hard work and dedication Tony has put in to stay at the top for 15 years. Yeah, um, and also I, what I would point out is if you think back to the Capital Gold days, um, we didn't quite get into that kind of detail with Tony, but he would have been commentating on three, four games a week quite regularly. There were times, I remember, when uh, on Capital Gold, Tony would get on a motorbike with Jonathan Pierce after an early kickoff <laughs> and they'd go to a second game in London and commentate on that. So your Capital Gold, Tony Gale, Jonathan Pierce, they were the lead commentators. If there were games taking place, they would be there. And I think all of that practice, that just the sheer fact that he had to go to so many games has really helped him rise to the level that he's reached. And it's very interesting to hear him talk about the differences between radio and TV. I think it's brilliant to hear somebody like Tony describing his second career in so much detail. He could have told you so much about what it took to play in the centre of a defence in the Premier League, and now he can tell you so much about what it takes to talk about it. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. And good luck to Tony. OK, I'm sure you can tell... He's somebody who I feel particularly warm about because we were colleagues. But there are lots of former players out there working just as hard at this second career and learning their own way of doing it. And uh, I think that's fantastic. Actually, in our next episode, we get a little bit more insight into that because I'm going to be talking to uh, former Tottenham midfielder Michael Brown. He's just starting his media career. And we actually get into a little bit about that, about what it's like to be starting out and to learn for yourself about how to do the job. As well as talking to Michael Brown, we pay tribute to the great sports writer James Lawton. That's all in the next episode. Our thanks then to Stanley Quenda and Tony Gale for their contributions to this episode. If you want to contact us and we would love to hear from you, we are on Twitter at PL Press Until next time, it's bye for now.